Hello and welcome to the Gospel Boldly podcast where we confess with St. John that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We are your hosts, I'm Thomas Lemke. And I am Pastor Eric Brown, and we are coming to you uh, live. Again, we, we don't quite get the, the shows out on time, or I shouldn't say on time, but like they don't like get produced immediately. So tonight, Thomas, will be Game 7 of the World Series. And and before we begin, uh, I just want to, to publicly thank all the, uh, the, the members of both the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Indians, Indians for a fantastic series, however it goes, Cubs for a fantastic season, however it goes. So I'm trying to keep my calm, man. I'm trying to keep keep my ch- – but but if for some reason I get strangely excited and, and like over-energized this, uh, this day, that, that that's why. Or if I actually completely crash and like, uh, it's because I've been up late watching baseball. So th- there we go. There's my caveat. Cool. Are, are, are we – okay, so th- there we go. And yes, I, I'm wearing my Cubs, jer- uh, Cubs shirt as, I, as we speak. So all right. Gotta gotta have the the bling, man. Gotta have the. Oh, this isn't bling. This is an old old cub shirt that that seen many <laughs> many a loss and heartbreak. But uh, may, maybe, I'm sure that's may, true. May, maybe less than that today. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. One other baseball thing. I went to a Cubs game in the 2015 season. All right. Okay. And it was against the Cleveland Indians, and it was a great game. And the pitcher was Corey Kluber, who's pitching for the Indians in Game 7, has been lights out in the World Series. He took a perfect game, I believe, into the fifth inning. He was pitching great, but the Cubs were patient against him, and they won a close, tight 2-1 game. May it be as good and exciting as a game tonight. There we there go. go. Okay, I've done all my caveats. <laughs> all right, I think. Excellent. You might get random cub analogies for the rest or baseball analogies for the rest of the day. I'm just warning you. All right. (laughs) It would only be proper. Well, we're going to be picking up then in verse 19, right? After uh, Jesus has appeared to Mary uh, following the resurrection. What what we're doing is John 20, 1 through 18 is uh, one of the the standard gospel readings for Easter Sunday. And uh, I think it might technically be Easter sunrise, but it's the standard one that I end up using. John 20, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, which I believe is 31, yeah, is the standard reading for the Sunday after Easter. Now, two things about that Sunday. Sure. Do you know what that Sunday is called in Latin? You do, and you Um, don't know it. That's probably true. Yeah, I I wouldn't be able to to give it to you. What is the name of the hunchback of Notre Dame? Uh, Quasimodo. And the name of that Sunday from the uh, introit is Quasimodo Geniti, as newborn babes, hallelujah, that's how the introit begins. Okay. Quasimodo from the story is named Quasimodo because he is abandoned on the door of the church on the Sunday after Easter. So they named oh, him after okay, the Sunday. Nice. So yeah, the, 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 this is Quasi... <laughs> I'm going to pretend that was the kid singing Go Cubs Go and just be very happy and <laughs> proud of my godchild. The other thing is we have uh, multiple uh, lectionaries that are in use. Some people use a one-year series, as I do, where the readings cycle every year. Some people use a three-year lectionary where the readings cycle every three years. But the Sunday after Easter, all of the lectionaries, every year in the three-year series, and then, of course, every year in the one-year series, does this lesson that we're going to be getting to today. So it, it's a, a the one time a year, no matter what lectionary you've been using, everyone's preaching on the same gospel. So, nice. 
So this is actually, in the three-year series, the gospel lesson that gets taught most. Okay. Ooh. In which Makes we sense. make fun of doubters named Thomas. <laughs> or, or maybe <laughs> As not. As again, would only be proper. All right. Do you want to, anything else or do you want to dive on in? Sure. I, I say dive on in. I'm, again, somewhat distracted by my son again this week. We need to All right. okay. figure out like a well, cage system <clears throat> for him. <laughs> Here, tell you what, I, I, I will do some reading, but then okay. I'll also ask you some questions while you're distracted. So Sure. Oh, great. All right. Let me grab my Bible up closer. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, I, I want to just get the uh, the setup for this. Thomas, why are they gathered together in fear of the Jews if Mary's told them that Jesus has been raised from the dead? If Peter and John have seen the empty tomb, why are they still gathered in fear? I mean, doubtful hearts, I suppose. Mary in her grief <laughs> saw something, and who knows really, but at the end of the day, goodness, they might come for us next, and we might not be so lucky as to disappear one day and be maybe well, seen. This, this is one word. This is really deals with the, the practical reality of this. It's not a, oh, we saw the end tune. We lived happily ever. No, let, let me tell you it was going. Yeah, we didn't know what was going on and we mm. were hiding. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus is holy. He might be raised from the dead, but if they come and grab me, who knows what's happening to me? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they're, they're, they're still freaked out, and, and and rightfully so. I mean, if you are part of a group that is deemed a rebellious, terrorist, traitorous group, and they kill your leader, and you're one of the second-tier group of leadership, what does that mean for you? Better uh, lay low for a while. <laughs> Wait, when, when the U.S. took out Osama bin Laden, they didn't say, oh, well, we'll just let the rest of al-Qaeda go. <laughs> who, who cares about the rest of the leadership? No, no. It's like, now we go look after them. So, they're hiding in fear. This is what they see. They see fear and confusion. And then when Jesus shows up, he says, peace be with you. Now, interesting point. Uh, If they are gathered together in a room that is locked for fear of the Jews, how does Jesus get in there, Thomas? Well... Since he's uh, made of corporeal flesh, there there's no possible way that there is any other explanation other than he found a hole in the wall and snuck through when no one was looking. Uh, if you are friend, uh, <laughs> fans of John Calvin or friends of the Beat or fans of the Beatles, uh, she came in through the bathroom window. Is John Calvin's explanation? Calvin actually says, "Oh, he must have opened it." Well, no. The point is, this is Jesus resurrected from the dead. This mm-hmm. is, uh, if you remember your catechism days, that they made the distinction between Jesus in the state of humiliation and Jesus in the state of exaltation. This mm-hmm. is Jesus in the state of exaltation. This is, I, I am risen from the dead. I've done what I needed to do, and there is no more limiting of my power. If mm-hmm. I want to be in a room, your lock is not going to stop me. So he shows on up. And he says, peace be with you. Now, I'm going to read the next verse very quickly to point out something else about his appearance. Yeah. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <laughs> See, look, look, look. See, it's really me. Look, look, I, <laughs> I, I, I've been through stuff. I, I, I have the proof that I, I'm actually still in my body. See, uh, uh, there it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm poking my hands, which really is terrible radio, but, but maybe entertaining to, to Thomas. <laughs> So you have Jesus there physically 
resurrected. See, I am actually raised from the dead. I'm not a spirit. One of the things that John is uh, combating, especially by the time he gets late in life, are, are a lot of Gnostic ideas. Gnosticism mm-hmm. is a, a big umbrella term for a bunch of heresies in the early church that basically <coughs> denigrated human flesh, denigrated the body, said the body has no importance whatsoever. Uh, you know, it almost is Gnosticism. When Yoda says, luminous beams, are we not this crude matter? Well, mm-hmm. uh, well, okay, that, that's kind of a nice little thought. But, you know, no, no, God made us to be body and soul. Are we, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead when, when my own eyes shall see. We, we're, we're meant to be body. And yeah. John is emphasizing, and he will for, for the rest of this chapter and the next chapter, Jesus' physicality. That, that okay. no, he's really there. And he says to them, this Jesus who is really physically present, Peace be with you. Now, Thomas, what is the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Shalom. And, and when we hear peace, shalom in, in Hebrew is a, a, a massive word. It's not just the cessation of fighting. It's not just, I, I want some peace and quiet around here because I'm trying to watch my Cubs game, kids. It is <laughs> It is everything is right. It's everything is the, the, the big word that you can use on your SAT is copacetic. It, it, it's mm-hmm. everything is in its right and proper place. Everything is as it should be. So Jesus comes up while they're gathered in fear and says, peace be with you. Everything is as it should be. It's all good. And they show some of his hands. Look, yeah, yeah. It's me who was crucified. But even though I was crucified, yet I shall live. Or yet I do live. Ooh. So. Thoughts, questions, comments there. Yeah. So, I, and maybe maybe this will come up a little bit more in a minute, but um, you have John saying in his epistles mm-hmm. that we will be like he is in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Does that include the ability to poof in and out of closed rooms or or not? And, and secondly, I would ask... Well, well hang on. Let, let me do that one very quickly. Sure. I don't know precisely. Um. But but if it does, it'll be fine, and it won't be something we'll abuse. And I, I'm of almost course. inclined to think possibly. And if it, uh-huh. and if it doesn't, that's okay, because I'm sure in the life of the world to come, God is not going to place me in a situation where I would really need to walk through a wall and not have that capability. All right. Makes so sense. That, is that my, that's my caveat. What was your follow-up? Well, the second thing, and, and this, again, I'm sure might delve too far into the, the arena of pure speculation, but... You have in Jesus' resurrected body the appearance of scars from his earthly life. Mm-hmm. You know, we often think, you know, when it comes to uh, in the resurrection, you know, having our perfected bodies, et cetera, not bearing any blemishes from our earthly sojourn, if you will. For Jesus, though, that's not the case. Should we expect the same? Again, I'm going to say I don't know. Sure. Uh, but if I can do some pious speculation, uh, okay. you can make an argument either way. What I would say is if there are scars, they will not be things of sadness. For example, when Jesus brings forth his hands on his side, that, that's not a, oh, no, how terrible. But it's, yeah, I, I won. It, mm-hmm. it, it's the, the, the mark and token of his victory. Mm-hmm. So, so if there is any scar or whatever or what have you, it would be not as a, a sad reminder of how we, we suffered – but it will be the the glad and proud token of our of the victory that is ours in Christ. 
So does that make sense? So, so, and it's one where I I don't know how that's going to work out. I mean, you do have the form where things will be remembered no more. Although, uh, Christ's crucifixion, the the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, isn't quite the normal former former things that we we think of that bring tears. So, yeah, true enough. However, it plays out, it'll be good and. Thankfully, I'm not the one in charge of defining what is good or isn't good. So, I mean, that, that, that it'll work. And, and if it works either way, it'll still be good. All right? Mm-hmm. Does that work? That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. I think it seems like, and just last note on the subject, not that this is definitive, but I, I think it was a church father or somebody that I read a long time ago just making the comment that, the, the scars of the martyrs will glow as if gold or something along those lines. Well, this actually comes up with early church iconogra- iconography. Uh, whenever you have the saints who are martyred, they always are depicted like holding their stuff of martyrdom, like uh, Ignatius of Antioch. There, there are scenes where he's in the posture of blessing while he's being eaten by lions, which is just right. Kind of, so, I mean, <laughs> who knows? Maybe uh, the phrase is chick did, chicks dig scars. Huh? Maybe we'll dig scars in heaven. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, it'll be good. So let, let's go take a break, and then we'll come back with, with ooh, even more speculation and question with the Backwards Life. So All right. we'll be back. And we are back, and we're at that point of the Gospel Bully podcast that we call the Backwards Life, where, where we'll look at some topic or idea in the Christian faith or life that often gets platituded one way and we will come at it from a backwards way. And I just use the phrase platituded. I love the English language. It's flexible. Hmm. That's a completely (laughs) coined word on the spot, but you get it. All right. So let's not deal with just mere platitudes. Let's dive on in, Thomas. What you got for us today? Sounds good. Today, I thought maybe an excursus on the eighth commandment might be in order. You have it... uh, you know, making the the statement in scripture that we are not to bear false witness. And particularly in Lutheran circles, and I think this because of the catechism, we are known for um, interpreting that, among other ways, to say uh, that we should put everything in the best construction, which which may be one form of backwards. Would you care to expound upon that or maybe another form of backwards way you could approach the Eighth Commandment? I, I will, <clears throat> because... One of the things I dislike about the new translation of the Catechism is that now the Eighth Commandment is that we should explain everything in the kindest way, which is not, I mean, it's accurate that that is the idea, that we should we should try to explain things in a very kind way. But the old translation, as Thomas and I made reference to, is that we should put the best construction on everything. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a reason I like this. One of the things that we can forget is that words have power, and words are actually designed by God to be creative. For example, Thomas, can you think of some ways, even amongst fallen sinful man in this world, where, where words are creative? Um, I mean, like a, a declaration of law, for instance, so a new law is created and even it creates more a certain that? order in society. Oh, oh even, even lower than that. What um, if I give you a recipe? for something that sounds good to eat or an idea or a way of how to, it's the way that we use words to communicate things and give other good things to other people True, and, and enable them to go and, and enjoy so many things that we have. Our words are meant to be creative. In fact, there's a reason if I'm saying words are meant to be creative, what should we all be thinking of? Creative writing classes in college. No, 
Oh, <laughs> Thomas, we should be thinking of Genesis one. How oh, does God well, create? Of <laughs> right. So, I mean, when 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 God says that we are made in His image and likeness, I take part of that to be the fact that we are speaking beings that we cause things to happen by yeah. the word. That's something that that God does, and that is something that we humans have been gifted with. Speech is a great and wondrous gift, and mm-hmm. it should be used to construct. And, and this is one of the things that comes up, even, even with uh, governments, if they have to punish or, or do war or something like that. It, it's meant to be constructive. It might be destructive at the moment, but the, the goal is to tear down that you may rebuild, mm-hmm. that you may fix something, that you may you may – make things better. So so the idea that that we should remember when it comes to our speaking it's not just don't lie. Don't deal with falsehoods. But rather use your words to make things better, to build up, to to support, to care, to create because blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Hey, peace be with you. Uh, hey, we're ooh ooh yeah. Can I can I just run that back into where we're at? Yeah, might as well. Uh, all right, okay. Keep this theme in mind that 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 God's word is to be creative, and God has bidden us to speak in a way that is creative as well. Thomas, mm-hmm. if you would read starting at verse twenty one through twenty three. Sure. Jesus said to them again, "Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you." And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. All right. So here Jesus has now come. He's got peace. And he is saying, I'm looking up something very quickly. And he says, all right, I I have gotten peace. I give you peace. And guess what? Now I'm sending you. Thomas, what is the word for sent one? Uh, I'm guessing we're going Greek here, and that would yeah. be apostello. Yeah, that's where we get the word apostle. Apostle literally means one who is sent. And the idea here is Jesus says, all right, you know how I showed up in the middle of your terror and, and fear and said, you, you, there's peace between God and you? <laughs> Guess what? You're going to be doing the same thing. Now, just think about this very quickly. Uh, when When the apostles are sent out, are they always sent out to places that are nice and rosy and happy, or are they often sent to places that are full of fear and terror? Well, you mentioned the uh, iconography showing how uh, people were martyred in the last section, and I would note that we're about to talk about a guy who usually appears with a sword. So, no, I, not, not necessarily happy and fun. <laughs> this is that idea. And so, I mean, you get that, that imagery, and, and in fact, this is going to come up in, in John 21, where Jesus is going to lay out to Peter, yeah, yeah you're going to be <laughs> you're going to be martyred too. But your job is to proclaim peace because the peace that comes from the resurrected Christ is a peace that surpasses, well, I normally say peace that surpasses all understanding, but a, a peace that surpasses anything you will see in this life. Even death cannot trump this peace that God gives. In fact, you're going to go and send out this peace. And how do you do it? He breathes on them. Oh, hey. And, and he breathed into a man's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Well, here Jesus breathes upon them <laughs> the, the spirit of life, and they become forgiving beings. They hey, speak hey. out peace and forgiveness. And, and I, I want to bring up 
something something here. Mm-hmm. That if in 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's that's not quite if as we normally think of it today. If we often think of today is just a, a I don't know. Uh, if I go to the store, I'm, I, I don't know whether I'm going to the store or not. No, this if is that logical if. When it happens that you forgive someone and tell them that they are forgiven, they are really forgiven. When it should happen that you, hmm, they have withhold. Uh, some pl- translation will put retain. Uh, literally, the, the word there is kratethe. Uh, and it is to, to lay hold upon someone. When you 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 bind them to their sin, when when you say, "Okay, no, 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 no," you're you're wanting to hold on to your sin. Well, you're describing reality. Note how there is a creative aspect when you speak it; it is real because you're speaking God's word, and that sets the thing for what is to go on. When I speak as a pastor, I'm not speaking my thoughts or opinion. I'm going to be speaking God's word. And moreover, Thomas, when you speak as a father to your son and tell him that he is forgiven. What word are you speaking? The same. When you speak to your friend and remind them, hey, you are forgiven. Christ has died for you. What are you speaking? Yep. Same, same, same. So, I mean, this this is one thing where, where uh, in the small card articles, mm-hmm. Luther talks about the multiple ways in which the, the means of grace come and, and the ways in which absolution is given. And one of the ones that causes some folks consternation is he talks about the mutual consolation of the brethren. I am a pastor. My job is to forgive sins in the stead and by the command of Christ in a public setting. I, I am the des- not that I'm the designated hitter. I am the designated forgiver. Right. Whenever you are dealing with guilt, come to me, confess your sins, and I am duty bound by my office to forgive you. Come Sunday morning or Saturday night here as it is, whenever there is a service, I am duty browned to preach forgiveness. Now, Thomas, you are not a pastor. You don't have that that duty, right? Right. However, do you still have people who are in your life whom to whom you speak God's word of forgiveness? Well, sure. Yeah. Immediate family for one thing. You you do I have people in my life who I speak God's word to who are not my parishioners, who who don't think of me as Pastor Brown, but think of me as nephew Eric, cousin Eric? The, yeah. The na- yeah. So, I mean, this is one where as Christians, we have received the Holy Spirit and we speak forgiveness. Now, there are some Christians who are basically, all right, well, just as in a house, there are some who are sent to... to uh, sweep the floor and mop the floor and clean up the messes like what we had this morning in my house when the freezer <laughs> door was kind of open and and the can of orange juice that was frozen that my wife put on the side after opening kind of spilled out and melted and someone got to clean that up all right mm-hmm. you had that designated you get to mop hi and and <laughs> <laughs> but but we all take care of each other's messes too so i get this is not meant to be just simply a well, I'm a pastor, so I get to forgive and I get to retain sin. So you better not do anything I don't like. And I don't know. Uh, you're rooting for a cardinal, so I don't know. Or you're rooting for the, the, the Indians, so I might have to. No, no, it doesn't work that way. The point is we're going to be speaking God's word of peace. And if someone is rejecting God's peace, saying, no, I don't want any part of that, 
fine. You, you, <laughs> as you wish, you have no part of it. It is mm-hmm. your, your sin is bound to you. God grants you repentance. So do you see how that kind of works? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is one of the, the things that, that causes no end of, of consternation to folks. We do speak God's forgiveness. And one of the things that was shocking for the early church, and even shocking today, is that when we speak forgiveness, there is forgiveness. Well, only God can forgive sins. Well, yes, and he just told us to go and do it. Which means, when I forgive people, it's not because I, Eric Brown, want them forgiven, but because God said so. And when, Thomas, you go and tell people they are forgiven, that's not just you talking, that is God speaking through you. Mm-hmm. Oh, which is why, jumping back to our backwards life, our words are to be constructive because we are children of God. We are heirs of the Father. We are part of a royal priesthood. And when we speak, our words ought to be the words of life that he has given us. Make sense? Absolutely. All right. Any other thoughts, questions on that that you want to Dig into before we get to your moment of shame, Thomas. <laughs> no, that was pretty thorough on the, the Office of the Keys there. All right, cool beans. Then if you would read 24 through 25. Okay. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, here you have Thomas. What does it mean, or what might you surmise about Thomas from the fact that he is not with the other disciples? He had another gig that night. He had another gig, or he had another bolt hold. He's like, I, <laughs> some of y'all are rats. I don't know if Judas was the only one. I am really hitting the hill. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he is too. really running in terror. And then they go hunt him down. They find him, which which might have been an interesting thing because if Thomas is hiding separate from them and suddenly you have Peter knocking, ah! oh. <laughs> and, and he, he's defiant <laughs> here. Unless I see what you saw, unless I put my fingers in his hands and stick my hand to his side, I'm not going to believe you guys are smoking crack or whatever the first century equivalent of that would be. Mm-hmm. Thomas, those are rather defiant words in opposition. Now, think about this. We just hear about the proclamation of the gospel, and the first time the gospel is preached to someone after the resurrection, what's the reaction? No way, man. Disbelief, no way. disbelief from an apostle. It's, so, so again, guys, when you run into to problems in the world and, and, and you see folks just rejecting and all that, don't be surprised. It's kind of entertaining. Think about that. Oh, great. We're apostles. We've received the Holy Spirit. Thomas, it's great. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. Yeah, you speak, and you keep speaking God's word of life. And you know what? If it falls flat, so what? The Holy Spirit causes faith when and where he wills, and that's not your concern. You just speak the word. Right? Right. All right. Let's head on to break. I see my godson has returned. He's happy to see the microphone, and we'll go from there. Have a good one. We'll see you on the other side of the break.
And here we are in the Gospel Boldly podcast, in the bottom of the ninth, ready to finish up the uh, the show for the day. Uh, <laughs> another baseball reference. And, and we have the doubting Thomases, those folks who just simply won't believe, cannot believe that either they're Indians or they're Cubs. No, actually couldn't believe something even more important than either the Cubs or the, the Indians winning the series. Could not believe the resurrection of Christ. And he laid down his defiant... So... If you would continue on, Thomas, starting at verse 26. Okay. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he. Now, I, I, oh. I, wait, wait, I, I just want to pause there. Yeah. So Thomas is with them this time. But what's changed? It's eight days later, so the next Sunday. It, it, it's basically saying, All right, ne- next Sunday night, they're, they're gathered again. And doors are still locked. Doors are still locked. They're still freaking out. They're still not out. I'm sending you. And are they are they out and doing stuff yet? No, they're still gathered right where they were, huddled in fear. They haven't really been talking to many people, which kind of makes sense if even Thomas yells at you. Right. And yet Jesus comes in and when he shows up, he says, you dolts, why haven't you gotten out and gotten busy yet? Why aren't you doing things? Why haven't you been fixing things? Larg! No, he doesn't say that. He says the same thing. He says, peace be with you. And this is one of the things that we should remember about, about our life in this world. There's never going to come a time where we don't need to hear peace be with you. Because week in or week out, whatever comes, we're going to get kicked in the teeth. We're going to be dealing with fears. And we need that peace over and over and over again. This is actually why we have been given by God the ability and the the command to speak forgiveness to one another. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is not just an an intellectual thing, an assertion. It's not just, oh, this happened a long time ago, so we're fine. Well, we're we're not just people who live in abstractions. We're people who live in the real world and have actual problems. And so it is to people who have actual problems that God sends people to speak his word of actual forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yep. All right, then can you read the next time? Because now, now Thomas is going to get dealt with. All right. You. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, <clears throat> This is uh, one of the places of uh, uh, of one of the great stupid theological debates that will come up often. Sometimes pastors like to, to get into stupid theological debates, ones that you can't really prove one way or the other, but we like to have something to argue about. And the debate that comes up here is, does Thomas actually put his fingers into Jesus' hands and hand into his side, or does he just see and believe at Christ's word? Well, you see, Pastor, it would affect the entire gospel were it not for the fact that we... <laughs> it it's, one, it's one that you can't... It, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. Now, Thomas, I'll see if you can predict. Which, way do you, which side of that debate do you think I come down on? I'm going to say you believe he did not do it will be my 50-50 guess. I think the the evidence is on the word. Although some people will say, well, Jesus said come, and if he told him to come, he ought to go do it. Well, <laughs> well it's like, well, I, I don't know if the point is, I, I think that was more a condescension, and then Thomas says, oh, holy wow. No longer necessary. Uh, my Lord and my God. Because yeah. 
because you don't actually have John saying, and then Thomas fingered the guy and said, oh, oh okay, now you're here. Mm-hmm. No, no, when Jesus, I, I think faith comes by hearing the word, but, and maybe seeing, because uh, you don't, you don't have Jesus mentioned touching, but, but either way, what do you think of how Jesus deals with Thomas? Is there any, is there any really berating of him? I mean, this might be a, a, a small joking child. All right, yeah, come. All right, if, if you need to do this, come come poke me, Thomas. There, there. Oh, 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 okay, now you do believe. <laughs> so, so, I mean, if, if, if it's chiding, it's almost a humorous chiding. It's kind of, kind of, well, again, I, I think John has a great sense of humor, and he's bringing out the, the humor of this. But he does have a point for us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hey, hey, Thomas. Have you seen the resurrected Lord with his with his wounds in his hands inside? I have not. And yet, have you believed? Yes. <laughs> that, 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 that wasn't hesitation on Thomas's part. That was, <laughs> oh no, my son is doing something. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, you are blessed. This is this is. Hey, look, we're, we're, Jesus reminds us all that we're blessed here. And then. If you would read the end of the chapter, and then we'll, we'll close them up with random thoughts before we get to 21 next time. All right. All right. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We're your hosts. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. No, no, no. We're not done quite yet. Uh, or starting it. Um, <clears throat> that text, that little passage has a, a wonderful point about what the Gospels are. And uh, sometimes we as modern Americans can be frustrated with the Gospels because they don't answer all the questions we'd want. They are not the definitive biography of Jesus. Right. They don't – rather, they're theological writings. They're not written to give us nitty-gritty details. They're written to tell us a theological – Story, and when I say tell a story, I don't mean that it's false. I mean, but but to make a theological argument, to bring out theological points. Jesus preached for three years. None of these texts have three years worth of stuff. True. All right. None of them have three years worth of events. That that's over a, a thousand days of stuff, and and we don't see that many days delineated. And the reason is they're picking and choosing to make theological points to tell us about who Christ is, what he has done, and why, so that we can believe and have life in his name. And John points out, yeah, there's other things that God could do, or that Jesus has done, but but I'm not going to just tell you a bunch of stories to tell stories. No, the point of this talking, the point is to be constructive, that it is going to cause and bring the Spirit to bring faith. Now, uh, there, there's a beautiful part about this. Um, to remind y'all, because I think we've, ta- I'm sure we've talked about this, but it's been a while. Uh, Thomas, who is John? The apostle. The well, I mean, okay. So, are you getting at the uh, the question of uh, is this John the Elder different from John the Apostle and all that uh, stuff? No, no, or? no, not even that. John okay. the Apostle. Okay. Who, who, so, who is he? Well, he is uh, the one beloved by the Lord. He is the one that sat at the bosom of the Lord at the table, the, um, uh, the pastor at Ephesus for some time, mm-hmm. caretaker of Mary. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the important thing with John, the pastor at Ephesus. Basically, all the apostles are off of the scene by 66, 67, 68 AD. 
John doesn't get exiled till around 95 AD. Mm-hmm. So, so for at least 30 years, John is the only living apostle. Right. And even towards the end of that, you're starting to lose a lot of the, the other eyewitnesses of Christ. True. So think about this. Imagine you're John. And you are getting up there in age, and you're tired. You've seen all your friends die. You're busy handling stuff at the church. You've got stupid heretics popping up, teaching all sorts of stupid things. How often do you think you'd get pestered by people wanting to have other more little nuances and stories about Jesus? Oh, quite frequently. (laughs) And yet... Nobody got time for that. Right. If you want to think about you want to think about it this way. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. That is John's equivalent of saying, All you kids get off of my lawn. <laughs> Quit pestering me. Quit bothering me. And and at, look, I, I've told you what you need to know for faith. This, this is what we need. You're, you're, you're wanting stuff that – no, I, I don't need to tell you what his favorite meal is. That's not important. <laughs> Just, oh, I, I've got heretics to deal with. I don't need to deal with what he thought of the color blue. Leave me alone. <laughs> there, there is some exasperation in John, I, I think. And uh, what's interesting is – well, I will bring this up before we go on. on. Um, if you look at the end of 20 mm-hmm. – doesn't that kind of sound like the end of a book? Very much so. I, I, I mean that. And yet, what follows after it? Another chapter. So, <clears throat> there are speculations on to what John 21 is. Is it a later edition? Is it, why is it there? If John has ended the book, why does he pick it up again? My personal theory, I think John pre- uh, presents the gospel, preaches it, and people nag him. So he decides to add a add another chapter and then says, now leave me. Because you get the very end. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Now leave me alone. <laughs> so so, so I, th- I think this is grandpa humoring you. John 21 is grandpa humoring you with another story that makes theological points for people who are looking at John as the last apostle. And we'll get to this next time. But that's it. I'm cutting you off. That, 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 that's done. All right. Makes so, sense. Thoughts on John 20? Any any thoughts? Because I don't really want to jump onto 21 because it is a whole new narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's see here. I, I suppose a couple of things could come up. For instance, you know, when it comes to the sequence of events, uh, mm-hmm. Jesus says in a, one of the synoptics or maybe multiple synoptics that uh, he's not sending them out until um, the Spirit comes upon them with power in, uh, right. you know, Pentecost mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm day. So could we interpret them staying behind locked doors as maybe like a, oh, we're just, just, just kind of chilling, just kind of waiting, feeling things out. Or I mean, how, how does that connect with, with that knowledge, I guess? One of the things you get in the other gospels, especially in, in Luke is go to Galilee and they meet them at the, the Mount where Jesus resurrects, ascends from on the, on the 40th day. Um, John likes to go off that that path, and he likes to show a little bit of behind the curtain so you can see some of the theology behind the the curtain because he knows that you know the Synoptic Gospels by now. And so what you have here is you have really John emphasizing doubt and confusion. 
Uh, so often we'll get the idea of Christians, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Well, you know what? The last half of John 20 and John 21 are all about that. Because when we get to John 21, it's not going to be the disciples on their happy way to Galilee saying, oh, yes, now we know what we're going to do when our life is set out and we have a purpose-driven life. It's, what do we do now? Uh, you want to go fish? And it's <laughs> not, let, let's just let's just pass the day fishing. It's like, well, maybe we should get the boots out of dry dock and try and make some living, I guess, or something. So, so I think one of the things that John is doing is he's, okay, I'll put it this way. John is really trying to deflate a lot of hero worship. Because mm-hmm. imagine the pedestal John could get put on because mm-hmm. he's the last apostle. And, and could you see how, how the second half of John 20 and, and even John 21, which we'll get to, is designed to take, in fact, much of the entire book, is designed to take the apostles off of a pedestal. It's not we are above you. It's no, we're we're sinful folks like you, who whom Christ has loved and forgiven. Now, this is something that comes up in Revelation. Uh, there's a point when in Revelation, when John sees the angel and he falls down to worship, and, and the angel freaks out, like, "Get up! What are you doing? I'm I'm just a fellow servant like you. Stop that! Cut that out!" This is actually, I think, a theme in John's gospel. It is an anti. Elevation. We might have different offices. We might have different duties that we're called to. We might be different parts of the body, as Paul would say, but we're not elevated one over the other. It's not a lording over like the Gentiles have done. Hey, doesn't that come up in the foot washing passage? There you go. Yeah. All right. So again, there is that that focus on, on service. This isn't a matter of, I know the most, so I'm in charge. No, no, it's we're we're all schlubs. We're all sinners who need forgiveness, and the point is that Jesus has done stuff so that we can believe, which is a great and wondrous thing. It's not about who you are and what you've done. It's about Christ bringing his word to you and giving you life. So there we go. That's and, it. And, and next time we'll get into John 21. If you have ideas for what you'd like us to read through, what book of the Bible you'd like us to look at next, send them on in, and uh, we need to figure that out, Thomas. Oh, yeah. So uh, other than that, Everyone have a great day. Uh, I Hopefully I will neither be too elated nor too depressed when next we record. <laughs> and uh, have a great time. Uh, everyone enjoy life. Enjoy the forgiveness God gives you. All right? Sounds good. Go Cubs, go. Go Cubs, go. Hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are going to win today. I'll stop there.